Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, the Minister of Children and Family Development said she wouldn't be listening to the opposition. And that's her prerogative. But what she does have a responsibility to do is to hear the concerns of thousands of anxious and upset parents from across British Columbia. Parents like Jennifer, families like Jennifer. Jennifer's from Surrey, and she says, and I quote, my 14-year-old sister, Jenny Bell, is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. I have spent years finding the right people to support my sister, and to know that all this is being taken away is insulting. No loving big sister can let her little sister say goodbye to all the wonderful people on her service team, knowing that the amount of regression that our family will see in Jenny Bell will be heartbreaking and downright unethical." End quote. That is Jennifer's story. That is Jennibel's story. It's not the words of the opposition. Those are not my words. So will the minister stand up today, speak to Jennifer, to Jennibel and their family, and explain why she has made the decision to claw back essential funding that Jennibel needs and deserves? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you. This is not a clawback, Honourable Speaker, and I can assure families, uh, like the, the family that has been mentioned this morning, that services will be available to all children and youth who need them across the province, uh, in their communities, and services will be available based on need. They won't be locked behind a diagnosis. And we have three years to support families in transitioning, and we will do everything we can to make sure that that is a success. Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you very much. And the Minister may have convinced herself that this is not a clawback, but let's look at what's happening here. Parents, thousands of them across British Columbia, receive support. They get to decide how best to support their families and their children. And this Minister has decided that that is going to change. That to the, minister's, uh, to the minister's answer, is defined as a clawback. What they have now, they will not receive. They will not have the ability to make decisions for their own children, to re retain the connections that they have put in place. Megan Kane from Coquitlam wanted the minister to know about the impacts of her decision on her four-year-old son. She writes, and I quote, my son is just about the happiest, sweetest, most loving little person you could ever possibly imagine. At the time of his di diagnosis, we were terrified, blindsided, and completely unsure of what the future might hold. With the October 27th announcement, we have once again been plunged into fear and uncertainty. It is abundantly clear from the minister's canned, repetitive answers that the decision to abolish autism funding was made rashly and without regard for the children it will impact and the consequences for thousands of families. This announcement has re-traumatized families, and the way it was done was unimaginably cruel." End quote. Again, those aren't my words. 
The minister can ignore mine. She can dismiss the comments of the opposition, but she can't dismiss the comments of Megan about her four-year-old son. So will the minister once again stand up and would she give those parents some hope that she will reverse the decision that she made because it had zero consultation with the very families that it will impact? Minister. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. It's very important to listen to families. And, uh, and I want to reassure this House that there are no clawbacks in the new system that will be delivered. Um, whereas in 2001, when the opposition became uh, government, they gutted my ministry, Honourable Speaker. They cut $15 million from services Members. for children and youth with support needs. They cut child protection by $185 million and $34 million from youth mental health. Honourable Speaker, our government makes different choices. We invest in children and youth. We have increased the budget for children and youth with support to the answer, please. every single year since Members. 2017. And we are continuing to invest. And as we deliver the new system, we'll be able to serve not just children and youth with autism, children and youth with other diagnoses and other developmental delays as well, with Down syndrome, with brain injuries, not just children with autism, but they will still receive services according to their needs. Yeah. Leader of the Third Party, second supplemental. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. I'm not sure the Minister has any idea of how the words that she says in this House every day, the impact they have on those families. And to be perfectly clear, the model that thousands of parents are standing up to defend, I would remind the Minister, that was a model created by the former government in significant consultation over a period of years in order to deliver it. The minister talks about listening. Members, let's listen to the caution, please. Member. The minister talks about listening to families. Perhaps she should have thought about that before she made the announcement. Because Autism BC has clearly said this minister did not talk to them about decisions that are going to change the way services provided to their children. And the uncertainty isn't just for a short period of time. Let's drag out that process for three years while this, these families try to sort out what's going to happen to them. Here's what else Megan had to say. And the members can, can, can heckle across the aisle. These are the words of thousands of families across British Columbia who woke up one morning to a surprise announcement from this minister that turned their lives upside down. Here Here's what Megan had to say, and I quote, the choice that you have made to target the province's most vulnerable children also extends to the thousands of female service providers who run their own businesses. The blatant lack of community consultation and critical thought that went into this decision would be laughable if it wasn't so utterly devastating. Going after disabled kids, mothers, and female business owners is appalling. 
end quote. The members opposite can groan all they want. Those are Megan's words and the words of thousands of British Columbians. They may want to dismiss them, but members of the opposition will not members do that. Order. So a simple request to the minister. She has a chance today to do the right thing. She could stand up and give those families the respect they deserve by reversing the decision and making a commitment to talk to families in British Columbia before she alters the services that they have been providing to their children for years. Will she simply do the right thing today? Minister. Oh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and uh, I will reassure families today that we are listening to them, we have been listening to them, we will continue to listen to them, we will deliver services for their children throughout the province. I hear from lots of families, Honourable Speaker, who say they don't know where to find help, they can't navigate help, and they don't have the capacity to set up a suite of services for their child Members, and youth. We will let's create, hear that quote. We will let's create hear the answer, a please. system that is a safety net for families so that they will be supported in creating and co-designing co those services for their children. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I know that families have scrambled to put together those services. So we will uh, continue to support those families as we implement the new service framework. We're putting children and youth at the centre. We make different choices. We're investing in children and youth. And I will inform all members of this House, please inform everybody in your communities, that we are opening up consultations in November and December, and we invite everybody to join us. In, in more, more, we will be Members. continuing discussions, and I invite everybody to join us. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure every member of this House and every member on the other side of this House has heard these same stories from these same parents. So saying that we're saying something that you're not already hearing is surprising. Stella is one of many autism service providers who have contacted me and are worried about how therapies will be handled. She writes, quote, I was blindsided by this announcement and am very concerned with the proposed changes. Under the HUB system, parents no longer get to choose their own therapists, and there's no guarantee that each child will receive an adequate amount of funding on therapy. I'm horrified these changes have been made without consulting families or service providers first, end quote. Will the minister please reverse her decision to remove the ability of parents to decide on care? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Thank you to the member for the question. Um, in the new system, what families will be able to do is as soon as they identify there's a developmental delay or they have a concern about their child, they'll be able to walk into a centre, get connected straight away with a key worker, and then work with um, the team, their multidisciplinary team. There'll be physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, mental health clinicians. So they will be co-designing the plan of services Members. for their children and youth that will be continually under review. Honourable Speaker, I can tell you as someone who has worked in the field for 30 years that we know that we serve children and youth better with multidisciplinary teams, with no barrier to access to services, and putting children 
and youth at the centre so that we make sure that we help them thrive and flourish and we set them on a successful pathway. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I do agree with the minister that children and youth have to be at the centre, but those parents have to be there as well. Now, that is not, that is, however, not what the hub system is doing. Corinne Heisler from North Vancouver says, quote, what I'm failing to understand is why the government needs to take away a model that is working for families of children with autism in order to support all children and not build upon the existing system. I'm a parent to three children, two of whom have autism diagnosis. We feel like we are swimming with our heads just above water, one wave away from drowning. Taking our supports away would be pushing us under the water, end quote. Why is the minister doing this to Corinne? Minister. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. We're not taking supports away from children and youth. We're making choices to invest even more in children and youth. Yeah. We're building a system. We're actually creating a safety net for children and youth, and we're reducing barriers. We're not locking services behind two years of waiting for a diagnosis. We're delivering those services there and then. Many families with children and youth with autism tell us they can't find services, um, and the, the pandemic has really highlighted for us how fragile that, that those services are, that families weren't able to receive them during COVID. I'd like to quote uh, um, from Tracy Humphreys, founder and chair of BCED Access. We have such a large community of families who have kids with all different kinds of disabilities. And for many of them, they've never had access to any funding through the Children and Youth with Support Needs program with MCFD. And they are thrilled. Member for Fraser Nicola. Meng Dong is a mother attempting to provide for her son with special needs while living with a life-threatening illness. She may die before the rollout of the new hub system and wants to know that her son is protected when she is gone. She says, and I quote, this new system throws us into an unknown world again. To make things even worse, I might not be able to help him through this transition. This ch change makes my efforts turn to nothing. I'm so worried, end quote. Why is the minister clawing back the funding that Meng depends on to provide services for her son? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. This is not a clawback. As I said earlier on, it was that side of the house that gutted my ministry 20 years ago. Our, our side of the house has made choices investing in children and youth. The budget for children and youth with support needs has gone up every single year since 2017. We just announced $10 million in the at-home uh, program for essential equipment like wheelchairs and lifts. Which are that, that program had not seen an increase in 20 years, wow. Honourable Speaker. Wow. We understand the struggles that families are experiencing 
and we understand the pandemic has, has made that even worse. We're here to help, Honourable Speaker. We will help all families make the transition successfully. Member of Fraser Nicholas, supplemental. Stacey Swanson has two children, one with a full diagnosis on the spectrum and another on the wait list. She says, and I quote, how the heck are we able to support our children in succeeding if we cannot afford to pay for supports and therapies with our providers that we have built a trusted relationship with? Our government is failing many, many families, end quote. Can the minister tell Stacy why she's clawing back her funding? Minister. Honourable Speaker, this is not a clawback. We are building a system. It is a safety net for all children and families. And it's informed... Members. It's, it, uh, Honourable Speaker, it's informed by the voices and experiences of families across British Columbia, plus advocates, plus service providers, plus the representative for children and youth has written multiple reports in multiple re reports recommending that our province has a needs-based system to deliver services to children and youth with support needs. And the reason for that is because it meets their needs better, earlier, and that means that they have a much more successful future and they thrive and they fulfil their potential. Even this legislature has a select stand standing committee on children and youth and did a report and heard from families around the province with neurodiverse children about how we only have a patchwork of fragmented programming at the moment and there should be a needs-based system in place. Member for Caribou North. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Deidre has two children diagnosed with autism and she says, and I quote, the government cannot take away my children's funding to give support to others. They need to create supports for those without a diagnosis, but they can't take away my children's support." End quote. Will the minister tell Deidre why she is clawing back her children's funding? Minister. Uh, Honourable Speaker, thank you. Well, uh, our government has made different choices. We are investing in children and youth. We have invested in children and youth with support needs since, uh, since forming government in 2017. In every single budget since 2017, we have increased funding. In 2019, we increased ongoing funding for respite by $6.3 million. Budget 2021 included a $13 million increase, which, which included, honourable speaker, $2 million for uh, deaf and hard of hearing children's programmes, which is the first time in 10 years that that programme has received any increase in funding. We're also investing $10 million in the at-home programme the, for the medical benefits, which is including wheelchairs, uh, special devices that help children get by on a day-to-day -day basis. Order. And as we begin our uh, implementation of the framework, we will make sure um, that we invest in delivering those services and creating a successful system. Thank you. 
Member for Sandwich North End Islands. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I've received hundreds of emails over the past summer about our provincial police service and accountability. The emails are largely in response to acts of uh, police aggression that we've seen in British Columbia. I think that all the members of this House have seen the visuals of these instances on social media this summer. They are horrifying. I've heard from many British Columbians a deep concern that, in some cases, our provincial police service is acting unlawfully. Many people I've spoken to are demanding accountability from our provincial government. There's a great deal of confusion about what the role of the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General's responsibility is with respect to our provincial police services, in part because the minister himself has said he does not direct the police. But the police have to be accountable to someone in British Columbia. Mr. Speaker, my question is to the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General, what are the minister's responsibilities with respect to the provincial police service in British Columbia? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the question from the member. And as the member will know, the Solicitor General is responsible, for example, for overseeing the Police Act in this province. What he should also know is, is that politicians, and in particular Minister the, Social, the Solicitor General, does not direct police uh, in terms of how they operationalize uh, the issues that they are dealing with. There are complaint processes in place that if people want to or are concerned about police actions that they can follow, those, those, those complaint processes are there in legislation and in fact on a number of cases they, have, uh, they are being acted on. I can also tell the member that, because he will obviously refer to the, uh, the, uh, the, the court case, that that again is also uh, um, um, under, under review, uh, uh, under appeal at this particular point in time. Uh, and that will, will continue. Uh, but there are numerous mechanisms, whether it's the Police Complaints Commissioner or the Independent uh, Investigations Officer, that deal with actions uh, of police. And, uh, you know, uh, if he wants a briefing, I'm more than happy to have my, my ministry give him a briefing on that. Member for Sandwich Northern Island Supplemental. Yeah, thank you. I um, didn't uh, talk about the, the, uh, the court case or the court action. Um, we have been seeing uh, increasing RCMP aggression across uh, the province in recent years. Uh, we've seen uh, numbers of incidences, uh, increasing incidences uh, in uh, all parts uh, of the province, uh, frankly, Mr. Speaker, um, and uh, over a number of, uh, of resource development uh, issues. Uh, the reality is, uh, Mr. Speaker, that uh, as part of the provincial police contract, uh, police services uh, contract, the minister has a responsibility with in the objectives to set the uh, objectives, priorities and goals uh, of the provincial police service. My question through you, Honourable Speaker, is to the minister. Has the minister made clear within those objectives, priorities and goals that are in his direct responsibility under the Pro provincial police services agreement that the provincial police service must respect the freedom of the press and the civil liberties of British Columbians. Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. We fully expect the police to, uh, to respect uh, civil liberties, uh, and they have a very difficult job. And as we know, there are processes in place, uh, procedures in place, protocols in place, that if individuals are concerned uh, about uh, uh, actions of the police, that, they, that they, they can take those protocols. 
Uh, and we have seen, Honourable Speaker, um, you know, significant uh, demonstrations and protests. And police deal with very difficult situations. Uh, we have seen where the police have had to deal with, in the case of uh, uh, one protest area, having to assist in removing more than five tons of garbage, much of it including human waste left behind by protesters. That's been part of the challenge that they have had to face, Honourable Speaker. We have seen uh, situations where police have been confronted by people, uh, individuals who have brought a urine-soaked bag full of candies uh, to the police. Uh, uh, a 10-year-old girl accompanied by parents uh, who uh, went up to, uh, to police at a protest and gave them a urine-soaked bag. As I said, the police have a very challenging and difficult job to do. They do it to the best of their ability. If there are issues, there are processes and protocols in place that people can follow, and they do. Member for South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the minister can try to deflect. Uh, but the language she's using, transitioning, that means moving to a different state. That means not doing the same thing we've done before. That means clawing back choice from parents. Melissa Crowhurst says, and I quote, I have three severely autistic Let's children. Let's hear the question, please. Let me start again there, Mr. Speaker. Melissa Crowhurst says, and I quote, I have three severely autistic children and an excellent team of therapists and service providers. Moving to a situation where we have no control over who provides services will set us back. Listen to the people who are living this life. We are the experts." End quote. The minister is ignoring the voices of those who have direct experience with autism. Will she listen to Melissa and stop the clawback? Minister. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, I want to take this opportunity to reassure families across British Columbia that we're building a system that is much more responsive to the needs of children and youth with support needs. We know that when a child needs help with, with speech or with language or with their behavior or with hear, hearing, they can't afford to wait for a delay. If it, you have a three or a four year old and you're a concerned parent, you can't wait two years for a diagnosis until they're five or six and they haven't received any services in that time. It's imperative that we deliver the services to children and youth when they are needed. And so we're building a system. We've been listening to families, we've been listening to advocates, we've been listening to service providers. And we've been hearing from them that the Currently, we only have a patchwork of fragmented programming that's locked behind a diagnosis. So, so many families have been talking to me, and I've worked in this sector for, for over 30 years, Honourable Speaker. I saw the horrendous impacts of the cutbacks here in my community, where I was serving and running services for over 10 years. I know that the system needs to change. So, we have been listening. We've been listening to service providers, and we created the framework also on the basis of recommendations from the representative for children and youth mm -hmm. and recommendations from a select standing committee of this legislature with members from both sides of the house on wow. and a framework that is needs-based is what families have been crying for in fact we've been told by advocates families have been begging for this ministry to do something different in this area to better meet the needs of children and youth with support needs. We are committed to serving these children and youth and to helping them thrive and set them on a successful pathway. Member for Surrey South. 
thank you, Mr. Speaker. And nobody is arguing that there are, there are families who need services who don't have them today. But you don't serve them better by taking away the supports that currently exist for the families who do. It sounds to me from that answer, Mr. Speaker, like the minister thinks she knows better than families. Carissa Crawley is a parent with a disability and a mother of a son with autism. She says, and I quote, my family has spent years finding the right service providers for my son, and it will be catastrophic to our family to disrupt the people and therapies we have put in place. My son, who is already struggling, will have the rug pulled out from under him." End quote. Why is the minister, through you, Mr. Speaker, pulling the rug out from families like Carissa's? Minister of Children and Family Development. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Nothing is more important to this side of the House and to my ministry than the health and safety and well-being of all of the children and youth in our province. <laughs> Over the past few years, we have seen and there has been a spotlight shone on the problems with individualised funding, Honourable Speaker. I've heard from so many families um, that they can't even get individualised funding until they wait a couple of years for a diagnosis. When they receive the funding, then it, people who have two jobs, people who have an elderly family member to care for, people who have several children Members. that they need to be taking care of, don't have the capacity or the time to be building a team and case managing services and they don't need to honorable speaker because we can build a system and build a safety net for those families as well so Thank even you. if you even if you receive a diagnosis even if you're able to get services families scramble to make sure that that service system is in place and most parents tell me that they are they really struggle with doing that then honorable speaker the pandemic hit what that showed to us was with the individualized funding there was no accountability so the services just went away and families, even families who have a good system of supports and services Thank for you, their Mr. children and youth, they had no services because of the pandemic. So we're going to build a system that will support all children and youth and create a safety net for children and youth that will meet their needs and that won't be locked behind a diagnosis. And, uh, and so, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Richmond North Centre will allow one question. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Well, the minister has been hearing so many stories in the last 30 minutes. And I think up to now, the minister has not responded to the concern and frightening thinking of all the parents. Let me quote a couple of more stories for the minister. Hopefully, she will respond to the parents, not us, not the opposition, but the parents. Tamsin is a parent of three children with special needs. She says, I quote her, we have spent years building relationships with our service providers, and it would be harmful to take those relationships away. I'm also very concerned that while the number of disabilities to be supported will be 
increasing. There's no talk of increasing the funds to support them, end quote. Well, I don't have time to tell many Sorry, but there's another one there to tell the minister. Jessica the Taylor remember. is the mother of an autistic child. Just ask the she question. says, I quote, my son is making so much progress and now is going to be stripped away. The hubs won't work for him. This change will take away all support for my son. Please, don't take away support from families who desperately need it, end quote. Will the minister listen to parents like Tam Sin and Jessica, or will she crawl back support from their children? Thank you, Minister, Mr. Speaker. Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and uh, thank you to the member for the question. Thank you to everybody for giving voice to families from across British Columbia. Um, as I said, I've been in service for over 30 years, Honourable Speaker. I've worked with many, many vulnerable families, and I do believe that it's very important to hear their voices. We need to be moving forward with this implementation. We're listening to families, and we will continue to listen to families. We have been listening to families about the uh, services for their children and youth with support needs since 2019, and we will continue to do that. We listened to them during COVID when they asked us for emergency measures because of a global pandemic that impacted them being able to support their children and youth. We're continuing, for example, with flexibility around respite because that was uh, um, something that was asked for as an emergency measure we're now making that permanent honorable speaker as we move forward with the with the next stages we will continue to listen to families in fact that i will have many opportunities in november and in december where it will be my pleasure and honor to listen to families from british columbia to hear their expertise and their experience and to be able to take that into account as Members. we move forward, so that we can be as successful as possible for all children who need our services in British Columbia. The bell ends the question period.